Chapters 26, 27, and 28 of John Barleycorn or Alcoholic Memoirs by Jack London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 26 Having burned my ship, I plunged into writing. I am afraid I always was an extremist. Early and late I was at it, writing, typing, studying grammar, studying, writing in all the forms of writing, and studying the writers who succeeded in order to find out how they succeeded. I managed on five hours sleep in the twenty-four, and came pretty close to working the nineteen waking hours left to me. My light burned till two and three in the morning, which led a good neighbor woman into a bit of sentimental Sherlock Holmes deduction. Never seeing me in the daytime, she concluded that I was a gambler, and that the light in my window was placed there by my mother to guide her erring son home. The trouble with the beginner at the writing game is the long dry spells, when there is never an editor's check and everything pawnable is pawned. I wore my summer suit pretty well through that winter, and the following summer experienced the longest, driest spell of all, in the period when salaried men are gone on vacation and manuscripts lie in editorial offices until vacation is over. My difficulty was that I had no one to advise me. I didn't know a soul who had written or who had ever tried to write. I didn't even know one reporter. Also, to succeed at the writing game, I found I had to unlearn about everything the teachers and professors of literature of the high school and university had taught me. I was very indignant about this at the time, though now I can understand it. They did not know the trick of successful writing in the years 1895 and 1896. They knew all about Snowbound and Sartore Sartis, but the American editors of 1899 did not want such truck. They wanted the 1899 truck, and offered to pay so well for it that the teachers and professors of literature would have quit their jobs could they have supplied it. I struggled on, stood off the butcher and the grocer, pawned my watch and bicycle and my father's Macintosh, and I worked. I really did work, and went on short commons of sleep. Critics have complained about the swift education one of my characters, Martin Eden, achieved. In three years from a sailor with a common school education, I made a successful writer of him. The critics say this is impossible. Yet I was Martin Eden. At the end of three working years, 
two of which were spent in high school and the university and one spent at writing and all three in studying immensely and intensely i was publishing stories in magazines such as the atlantic monthly was correcting proofs of my first book issued by houghton mifflin company was selling sociological articles to cosmopolitan and mcclure's had declined an associate editorship proffered me by telegraph from new york city and was getting ready to marry now the foregoing means work especially the last year of it when i was learning my trade as a writer and in that year running short on sleep and taking my brain to its limit i neither drank nor cared to drink so far as i was concerned alcohol did not exist i did suffer from brain fag on occasion but alcohol never suggested itself as an ameliorative heavens editorial acceptances and checks were all the ameliorative's i needed a thin envelope from an editor in the morning's mail was more stimulating than half a dozen cocktails and if a check of decent amount came out of the envelope such incident in itself was a whole drunk furthermore at that time in my life i did not know what a cocktail was i remember when my first book was published several alaskans who were members of the bohemian club entertained me one evening at the club in san francisco we sat in most wonderful leather chairs and drinks were ordered never had i heard such an ordering of liqueurs and of highballs of particular brands of scotch i didn't know what a liqueur or a highball was and i didn't know that scotch meant whiskey i knew only poor men's drinks the drinks of the frontier and of sailor town cheap beer and cheaper whiskey that was just called whiskey and nothing else i was embarrassed to make a choice and the steward nearly collapsed when i ordered claret as an after-dinner drink chapter twenty seven as i succeeded with my writing my standard of living rose and my horizon broadened i confined myself to writing and typing a thousand words a day including sundays and holidays and i still studied hard but not so hard as formerly i allowed myself five and one hours of actual sleep i added this half hour because i was compelled financial success permitted me more time for exercise i rode my wheel more chiefly because it was permanently out of pawn and i boxed and fenced walked on my hands jumped high and broad put the shot and tossed the caber and went swimming and i learned that more sleep is required for physical exercise than for mental exercise there were tired nights bodily when i slept six hours and on occasion of very severe exercise i actually slept seven hours but such sleep orgies were not frequent 
there was so much to learn, so much to be done, that I felt wicked when I slept seven hours. And I blessed the man who invented alarm clocks. And still no desire to drink. I possessed too many fine faiths, was living at too keen a pitch. I was a socialist, intent on saving the world, and alcohol could not give me the fervors that were mine from my ideas and ideals. My voice, on account of my successful writing, had added weight, or so I thought. At any rate, my reputation as a writer drew me audiences that my reputation as a speaker never could have drawn. I was invited before clubs and organizations of all sorts to deliver my message. I fought the good fight, and went on studying and writing, and was very busy. Up to this time I had had a very restricted circle of friends, but now I began to go about. I was invited out, especially to dinner, and I made many friends and acquaintances whose economic lives were easier than mine had been, and many of them drank. In their own houses they drank and offered me drink. They were not drunkards, any of them. They just drank temperately, and I drank temperately with them as an act of comradeship and accepted hospitality. I did not care for it, neither wanted it, nor did not want it, and so small was the impression made by it that I do not remember my first cocktail nor my first scotch highball. Well, I had a house. When one is asked into other houses, he naturally asks others into his house. Behold the rising standard of living. Having been given drink in other houses, I could expect nothing else of myself than to give drink in my own house. So I laid in a supply of beer and whiskey and table claret. Never since that has my house not been well equipped. And still, through all this period, I did not care in the slightest for John Barleycorn. I drank when others drank and with them as a social act and I had so little choice in the matter that I drank whatever they drank. If they elected whiskey, then whiskey it was for me. If they drank root beer or sarsaparilla, I drank root beer or sarsaparilla with them. And when there were no friends in the house, why, I didn't drink anything. Whiskey decanters were always in the room where I wrote, and for months and years I never knew what it was when by myself to take a drink. When out at dinner I noticed the kindly genial glow of the preliminary cocktail. It seemed a very fitting and gracious thing. Yet so little did I stand in need of it, with my own high intensity and vitality, that I never thought it worth while to have a cocktail before my own meal when I ate alone. On the other hand, I well remember a very brilliant man, somewhat older than I, who occasionally visited me. He liked whiskey, and I recall sitting whole afternoons in my den, drinking steadily with him, drink for drink, 
until he was mildly lighted up and i was slightly aware that i had drunk some whisky now why did i do this i don't know save that the old schooling held the training of the old days and nights glass in hand with men the drinking ways of drink and drinkers besides i no longer feared john barleycorn mine was that most dangerous stage when a man believes himself john barleycorn's master i had proved it to my satisfaction in the long years of work and study i could drink when i wanted refrain when i wanted drink without getting drunk and to cap everything i was thoroughly conscious that i had no liking for the stuff during this period i drank precisely for the same reason i had drunk with scotty and the harpooner and with the oyster pirates because it was an act that men performed with whom i wanted to behave as a man these brilliant ones these adventurers of the mind drank very well there was no reason i should not drink with them i who knew so confidently that i had nothing to fear from john barleycorn and the foregoing was my attitude of mind for years occasionally i got well jingled but such occasions were rare it interfered with my work and i permitted nothing to interfere with my work i remember when spending several months in the east end of london during which time i wrote a book and adventured much amongst the worst of the slum classes that i got drunk several times and was mightily wroth with myself because it interfered with my writing yet these very times were because i was out on the adventure path where john barleycorn is always to be found then too with the certitude of long training and unholy intimacy there were occasions when i engaged in drinking hours with men of course this was on the adventure path in various parts of the world and it was a matter of pride it is a queer man pride that leads one to drink with men in order to show as strong a head as they but this queer man pride is not theory it is fact for instance a wild band of young revolutionists invited me as the guest of honor to a beer bust it is the only technical beer bust i ever attended i did not know the true inwardness of the affair when i accepted i imagined that the talk would be wild and high that some of them might drink more than they might and that i would drink discreetly but it seemed these beer busts were a diversion of these high-spirited young fellows whereby they whiled away the tedium of existence by making fools of their betters as i learned afterward they had got their previous guest of honor a brilliant young radical unskilled in drinking quite pipped 
when i found myself with them and the situation dawned on me uprose my queer man pride i'd show them the young rascals i'd show them who was husky and chesty who had the vitality and the constitution the stomach and the head who could make most of a swine of himself and show at least these unlicked cubs who thought they could outdrink me you see it was an endurance test and no man likes to give another best for it was steam beer i had learned more expensive brews not for years had i drunk steam beer but when i had i had drunk with men and i guessed i could show these youngsters some ability in beer guzzling and the drinking began and i had to drink with the best of them some of them might lag but the guest of honour was not permitted to lag and all my austere nights of midnight oil all the books i had read all the wisdom i had gathered went glimmering before the ape and tiger in me that crawled up from the abysm of my heredity atavistic competitive and brutal lustful with strength and desire to outswine the swine and when the session broke up i was still on my feet and i walked erect unswaying which was more than can be said of some of my hosts i recall one of them in indignant tears on the street corner weeping as he pointed out my sober condition little he dreamed the iron clutch born of old training with which i held to my consciousness in my swimming brain kept control of my muscles and my qualms kept my voice unbroken and easy and my thoughts consecutive and logical yes and mixed up with it all i was privily a grin they hadn't made a fool of me in that drinking bout and i was proud of myself for the achievement darn it i am still proud so strangely is man compounded but i didn't write my thousand words next morning i was sick poisoned it was a day of wretchedness in the afternoon i had to give a public speech i gave it and i am confident it was as bad as i felt some of my hosts were there in the front rows to mark any signs on me of the night before i don't know what signs they marked but i marked signs on them and took consolation in the knowledge that they were just as sick as i never again i swore and i have never been inveigled into another beer bust for that matter that was my last drinking bout of any sort oh i have drunk ever since but with more wisdom more discretion and never in a competitive spirit it is thus that the seasoned drinker grows seasoned 
to show that at this period in my life drinking was wholly a matter of companionship i remember crossing the atlantic in the old teutonic it chanced at the start that i chummed with an english cable operator and a younger member of a spanish shipping firm now the only thing they drank was horse's neck a long soft cool drink with an apple peel or an orange peel floating in it and for that whole voyage i drank horse's necks with my two companions on the other hand had they drunk whiskey i should have drunk whiskey with them from this it must not be concluded that i was merely weak i didn't care i had no morality in the matter i was strong with youth and unafraid and alcohol was an utterly negligible question as far as i was concerned chapter twenty eight not yet was i ready to tuck my arms in john barleycorn's the older i got the greater my success the more money i earned the wider was the command of the world that became mine and the more prominently did john barleycorn bulk in my life and still i maintained no more than a nodding acquaintance with him i drank for the sake of sociability and when alone i did not drink sometimes i got jingled but i considered such jingles the mild price i paid for sociability to show how unripe i was for john barleycorn when at this time i descended into my slough of despond i never dreamed of turning to john barleycorn for a helping hand i had life troubles and heart troubles which are neither here nor there in this narrative but combined with them were intellectual troubles which are indeed germane mine was no uncommon experience i had read too much positive science and lived too much positive life in the eagerness of youth i had made the ancient mistake of pursuing truth too relentlessly i had torn her veils from her and the sight was too terrible for me to stand in brief i lost my fine faiths in pretty well everything except humanity and the humanity i retained faith in was a very stark humanity indeed this long sickness of pessimism is too well known to most of us to be detailed here let it suffice to state that i had it very bad i meditated suicide coolly as a greek philosopher might my regret was that there were too many dependent directly upon me for food and shelter for me to quit living but that was sheer morality what really saved me was the one remaining illusion the people the things i had fought for and burned my midnight oil for had failed me success i despised it recognition it was dead ashes society 
men and women above the ruck and muck of the waterfront and the forecastle, I was appalled by their unlovely mental mediocrity. Love of woman, it was like all the rest. Money, I could sleep in only one bed at a time, and of what worth was an income of a hundred porterhouses a day when I could eat only one? Art, culture, in the face of the iron facts of biology, such things were ridiculous. The exponents of such things only the more ridiculous. From the foregoing, it can be seen how very sick I was. I was born a fighter. The things I had fought for had proved not worth the fight. Remained the people. My fight was finished yet something was left still to fight for the people. But while I was discovering this one last tie to bind me to life, in my extremity, in the depths of despond, walking in the valley of the shadow, my ears were deaf to John Barleycorn. Never the remotest whisper arose in my consciousness that John Barleycorn was the anodyne, that he could lie me along to live. One way only was uppermost in my thought, my revolver, the crashing eternal darkness of a bullet. There was plenty of whiskey in the house for my guests, I never touched it. I grew afraid of my revolver, afraid during the period in which the radiant, flashing vision of the people was forming in my mind and will. So obsessed was I with the desire to die that I feared I might commit the act in my sleep, and I was compelled to give my revolver away to others who were to lose it for me where my subconscious hand might not find it. But the people saved me. By the people was I handcuffed to life. There was still one fight left in me, and here was the thing for which to fight. I threw all precaution to the winds, threw myself with fiercer zeal into the fight for socialism, laughed at the editors and publishers who warned me and who were the sources of my hundred porterhouses a day, and was brutally careless of whose feelings I hurt and of how savagely I hurt them. As the well-balanced radicals charged at the time, my efforts were so strenuous, so unsafe and unsane, so ultra-revolutionary that I retarded the socialist development in the United States by five years. In passing, I wish to remark at this late date that it is my fond belief that I accelerated the socialist development in the United States by at least five minutes. It was the people, and no thanks to John Barleycorn, who pulled me through my long sickness. And when I was convalescent came the love of woman to complete the cure 
and lull my pessimism asleep for many a long day until john barleycorn again awoke it but in the meantime i pursued truth less relentlessly refraining from tearing her last veils aside even when i clutched them in my hand i no longer cared to look upon truth naked i refused to permit myself to see a second time what i had once seen and the memory of what i had that time seen i resolutely blotted from my mind and i was very happy life went well with me i took delight in little things the big things i declined to take too seriously i still read the books but not with the old eagerness i still read the books to-day but never again shall i read them with that old glory of youthful passion when i hacked to the call from over and beyond that whispered me on to win to the mystery at the back of life and behind the stars the point of this chapter is that in the long sickness that at some time comes to most of us i came through without any appeal for aid to john barleycorn love socialism the people healthy figments of man's mind were the things that cured and saved me if ever a man was not a born alcoholic i believe that i am that man and yet well let the succeeding chapters tell their tale for in them will be shown how i paid for my previous quarter of a century of contact with ever accessible john barleycorn end of chapter twenty eight